This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Dive Bomb Squadcast. I'm your host, Asher Tolliver. I hope the waterfowl off-season has been treating you well and you are experiencing some beautiful warm weather wherever you are located. Today, I am joined by a friend of mine, fellow left-hander and lover of all things waterfowl, Mr. Cole Townsend. Cole, what's good, dude? What's going on, Ashley? Oh, man, not much. Just uh, wrapped up our regular little it's like a modified coach pitch t-ball season last night and now we're gonna play a couple weekends put a little team together and play a few weekends for about a month but man other than that uh nothing too terribly crazy going on uh, where are you joining me from today what you been up to i'm over here in east texas uh, trying to get rid of this waterfowl season gut i put on working out a little bit <laughs> You know, uh, six months on, six months off working out, basically. <laughs> it's a good plan. Uh, if you want to sign up for this plan, just be a guide. Well, I know you spent a few days in Saskatchewan. Not too yeah, long yeah. ago, you know, chasing uh, late spring snows. Looked like you had a good time up there. Killed a lot of birds. Looked like you all shot a band. That was seriously unbelievable for snow goose hunting uh i'm gonna do it every year i, I will not spend my money anywhere else from now on arkansas you can have the, you can have all the snow geese you want <laughs> i'm not i'm not doing anything but hunting snows up there it was seriously incredible isn't it nice man it's just it's the vibe one the vibe is it's super super relaxed uh yeah weather's you know it's nice at least it has been in my experience and it was this year it's just it it was wet but it's not like that arkansas muddy mess inconvenient wear you down screw up all your gear wet mud it's just like it's nice the spreads don't have to be as big the adults play nicer it's just awesome dude people that have it experience yeah. the spring snows in canada it is i highly recommend it whether you whether you have the equipment to do it yourself or you you pay somebody to take you to do it if you are a spring snow guy i don't want to say like forget the tubes in the mud because you know the lower mississippi flyway can be pretty special and, and i understand that but cole i'm right there with you man that that spring snow goose hunting in canada it's it's a, a different deal and it is just it's just chill and it's fun, man. It is oh, so much fun. I, would, I mean, it, it was the first year I've ever done it. So, I mean, I would have, I would put it equivalent to early season honker hunting in North Dakota. I mean, the, the snows, they, when we were there anyway, they started to pair up. They started to try to land outside the deep coast sometimes. Mm-hmm. Small, small groups all going long. I mean, 200 decoys, maybe less, yeah. hunting out of layouts, 65 degrees. I mean, geez. I, I wouldn't put Arkansas and this in the same category because no. you will have those gigantic, insane spins. I'm running 10 shots at geese, but if you're wanting to shoot a bunch of birds, <laughs> I feel like the uh, the numbers game is probably even better in our in, uh, Saskatchewan or wherever else in Canada, just just from consistency. But I mean, you may you may shoot a hundred birds in Arkansas, you may shoot three hundred birds, you may shoot one for seven days straight. But I feel like Canada's just a different story. I, I'm I'm in love with it anyway. Well, you know, one thing you shoot a lot of birds, but man, it's not like the. I mean, you certainly could have 15 guns, but it's not like the 15-gun steel wall at 60. You know, I'm I'm not saying everybody shoots them at 60 in Arkansas. That's not what I'm saying. But more often than not, you're going to take longer shots with big groups uh, when people have extended tubes on. Dude, in Canada, like you're talking about quality, up-close snow goose action. You know, honestly, it makes you think of, you know, in the spread – there in West Texas, you know, as close as we're shooting a lot of these lesser sometimes, 
that's the way you're shooting those snow geese in Canada. I mean, they're they're tickling their toes on these and like close, close, close. It's it's yeah. not steel wall shooting. It's like picking them out three clean shots shooting. Yeah, and you don't think about snow geese that way right. typically. In Arkansas, you'll get one, if you're lucky, two giant spins within sure. 30 yards. You know, up there, it's just super relaxing. And when I'm chasing waterfowl, I would much rather try to decoy birds than watch birds at 40 yards. I don't want to shoot birds at 40 yards. I, I don't care to. I, I fall in love with waterfowl hunting to trick the birds, get them in the spread tight, and, and that's what I love. It's just cool. You can hear their wing beats up close. They're, they're squawking. They're clucking up close and personal. It's just awesome. Did you guys see many sick birds over there? You know, scouting, we did. I mean, you, you saw them in every feed almost. Right. I, I couldn't believe it. We, during our hunt, we only saw one. It was like 100 yards in the, in the air. And this may be cliche, but it literally dive bombed down and then stuck its wings out like three feet above ground. Like it couldn't even fly. And it just started flying again. They'd go down. Like, I mean, it'd be like a seagull attacking a fish in the water. Wow. I mean, that's what it, that's what a stogies was doing. It, it could barely even fly. I mean, it, it, was, it blew my mind. That's nuts. People that are wondering what I'm talking about, sick birds. The, uh, the avian flu was pretty bad this spring you know a lot of folks you've probably seen on social media posting videos i actually had a bird that i posted on our story when we were in alberta and kind of like cole said they just act you can tell they act really really funny they'll come in like land almost like a wobbly kind of crash landing they'll stand there and their heads are kind of they're just like they're wobbly they're super wobbly their heads are kind of gyrating a little bit you can walk all the way up to them and they maybe have a little fear maybe not um but yeah we there was quite a few we we hunted one day next to a pretty big roost and man just down by the water's edge there was there was a lot i mean a lot a lot of dead birds and while we were hunting we probably saw another maybe 10 or 12 but yeah there was there was quite a few yeah I couldn't believe it. I mean, Calvin said he was walking around ponds and lakes in North Dakota and was finding hundreds of them yeah. dead. Wow. I didn't know it was that bad. That's insane, man. If a guy really wanted to, he could probably spend a lot of time walking around and find trying to find some bands. I guarantee if you spent yeah. enough time, you'd find a few. Oh, no doubt. And do you know much about this? Can this can it spread to other birds? Man, honestly, other species. I, I can tell you what I've heard, but if anybody quotes me on this, I, I could very likely be wrong. But right, I, right. somebody said one and maybe I don't remember if it was five hundred or a thousand. They said was like the rate this year that was infected, and I guess it's to compare avian flu to covid but i think it's kind of like covid they it it killed a lot of birds and some birds they you know they come back and recover from it as far as spreading it to the other birds i think they can do that through saliva feces um i could be wrong that's just what i was told so um nobody take take to the bank on that if you guys do know the answers you know I'd, i'd welcome you to uh, educate me send me a message because honestly i don't know that much about it other than just seeing it at uh, ground zero i guess just a lot of a lot of dead birds on the prairie uh just mother nature's way i guess of of um i don't know protecting the tundra call it what you will but the conservation season's made to um cut down on the uh light goose population and the reason it's still going is because we're you know we're not meeting our numbers you know during the fall so i it is sad i mean you you hate to see a bird like that and wobbling around it sounds funny saying it's sad you know from people that shoot a bunch of birds all year but you know we, we we do care about these birds and and 
them reproducing and their habitat and everything. It is, it is a little sad seeing them like that, but at the end of the day, maybe it's not the worst thing that this, you know, happens every once in a while. I don't know. Uh, population control. Or the tundra. Uh, I mean, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. I think we're going to be okay. We're going to have the numbers. I mean, they're going to, I don't think we're going to see a decline in, in, uh, uh, no. in geese. But, I mean, if it does spread, what's the next bird? Probably right. the speckle belly. Right. Maybe. I mean, thankfully, they don't really hang out like honkers or mallards too much, I wouldn't say. But I guess if that's one I thing, I didn't see any, you know, we saw a lot of, a lot of ducks, a lot of actually we saw quite a lot of lessers and big cannas and specks while we were there coming through and the good news is out of all those birds we saw i didn't see any dead and i didn't see any coming our spread wobbly or funny so fingers crossed there uh, i did not witness any other species uh laying in a field or acting funny or standing around so let's just hope it it uh, yeah. um, you know it stays that way cole i want to switch gears now i want to take it back to the beginning with you i want to talk about how you got introduced to waterfowl hunting and what the early years chasing birds look like for you well the the, the very beginning the earliest years was i was in west texas basically just hunting ponds with buddies and I was pretty addicted to it. My buddies would go uh, every day before school once we got our driver's license, but uh, we'd go, we'd literally go around, not having a clue what's going on. Uh, I went with my buddy one time, got addicted, and this is when we got into the pond hunting. We'd go around looking at Google Earth and uh, find ponds on people's property and uh, literally walk up to doors at 16, 17 years old and uh, ask for permission just to hunt some ducks on their pond, and no one really cared. So we had about 10 ponds lined up, uh, and we just pick them out, which one uh, before school each day of the week. We just pick the best one out after going to scout ponds, <laughs> and uh, that, that was the beginning stages. My, my buddy, uh, Ryan, worked at Ranger Creek, Outfitters out in uh, Haskell, okay. Texas, and he basically just brought me on a hunt where his his dad got him a job there at Rainbow Creek and made friends with Justin Hill and Eric Guggenheim and all them. And I, I basically just kept coming back, and Justin told me I could keep coming back, and uh, eventually we kind of formed a relationship where I was really working for the outfitter and learning and. Uh, and all that, but yeah, that's the start. I basically got in with an outfitter from the Betty and uh, helped them do whatever they needed help with and got to go on some really epic uh, speckled belly and lesser camera goose hunts and, and learn the ways of how these guys did it. And I, I, was, I was blessed to be with some guys that were, they were older, you know, than, than this generation where it seems like there's 20-year-olds, you know, head guides now everywhere. I'm not... You know, that's pretty ridiculous to me, but, you know, the world's changing. But, you know, all these guys were in their 30s, early 30s, late 30s, uh, being able to show me how, show me all this stuff. And uh, I, I really just fell in love with it. Didn't care about the money at the time. I was just in high school. I'd get to go for Christmas break and on the weekends. And uh, I, I just loved it. It was only 45 minutes away, so why not? I was able to go quite a bit. And, uh get picked on by these guys and <laughs> I just I just love it. So you weren't you weren't one of those guys that, that had like dad and grandpa carrying you in their in their backpack when you're four or five years old. This is something that you kinda got started on a little bit later on once you were kinda driving and making your own choices with your friends and stuff. Yeah, so I guess my very first duck hunt was when I was like thirteen. And uh, I was able to go with friends a little bit, but yeah, no, no, no one in my family uh, hunts waterfowl. So I, I just went a couple times. I, my dad had taken me deer hunting quite a bit when I was a kid, and it just it just never really got me going. Mm -hmm. So then I got into bow hunting and 
shot a bunch of does and some decent management bullets with a bow. And uh, I, I never got that blood rush that people talk, mm-hmm. to, talk about all the time until I started duck hunting. And uh, I duck hunted and deer hunting for a little bit. And then I was just like, you know what? I, I don't want to spend money. My dad didn't want to spend money on a lease for a deer hunt where we'd go out two weeks and the season. And, sure. Pay an extreme amount of money just to kill a couple of deer. And I just told my dad, like, you know, I'm not even really that into it. But yeah, that's that's kind of how it went. I'll tell you what, just, Ranger Creek. If there's going to be a place that you're going to learn from, you know, I've, d- I've done a podcast with Googie in the past, and uh, you know, I know the guys at Ranger Creek there pretty well. And you know, I kind of in my mind, I referred to him as like outfitter university or guide guide you you know they they're like i've used this reference before but they're like running backs coming through the university of alabama that go to the nfl you know like there's so many good guides that have come from ranger creek or have some roots or a background some sort of relationship with ranger creek um and not just not just good guides, but good people. But as far as quality of, of hunts, I mean, shooting them close, like truly learning the art, art of decoy and waterfowl, not just going out and waterfowl shooting. This is truly the art of waterfowl hunting in its like purest form. I mean, so if there's going to be a place that God's going to learn from, I'll tell you what, I'm not sure that it gets a whole lot better than ranger creek so obviously you've got a you've you had a hell of a foundation that you probably didn't even you probably didn't even realize at the time and now that you've gotten older and kind of look back and seen the industry and all the starts that people had and where they branched off from and you kind of look up and you say well okay i i i got in pretty early with a freaking really really good one it's looking back at it it's it's a blessing. I mean, I could, you know, when I was 16, you know, 16-year-old boys, they don't know what the heck's going on. Sure. But to get back to what you were saying is, Ranger Creek, you know, you don't know you're a good duck or goose caller until you're around guys <laughs> like this. But yeah. I get there, I, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty good duck or goose caller, 16 years old, 17, 15 even was when I first went there, but. Uh, you get around these guys, they've all got state championship, world championship, I don't know other accolades, but they, they all have one uh, goose or duck calling contest. John David Stanley, Eric Guggenheim, Derek McDaniels, uh, Forrest Carpenter. I mean, these are guys, yeah. Cody Grounds, I love him, uh, I never got to meet him, actually. But, uh, but yeah, you show up thinking, you know, Wow, you, you think you're kind of good or whatever. You get around these guys and you get made fun of, and it's a uh, you know I like that. I like being pushed. Uh, I'm a competitive guy. I'm not just gonna think I'm the best and get around people that are better than me and shut down. You know, I want to learn. They they were able to teach me. I was able to sit in the spread and listen to these guys day in and day out, and not even really have to pick up my call to learn something. Right. You know. You, your brain just kind of works in a way where you learn these, sequ- these sequences that these guys are doing, right. and uh, you're able to go home and practice and literally figure it out. And it's and it's awesome. You know, they've got great callers on top of the hunting. I just wanted to say that you know being around being around guys like that will help you uh, be a better goose caller if you're uh, out there trying to be a better caller. Get around someone that's pretty good. No doubt about it. And not just good at the the sounds they're making out of the call, but knowing when to make those sounds. You know, I think as important as, as being good at making clean, crisp sounds is, is maybe even more important knowing when to blow what sounds at them at what times, you know, and just 100% those guys. So, yeah, that's pretty 100%. awesome. For a relatively young guy, you've been guiding waterfowl for – uh, quite a long time, so I've got to ask you, what's your what's your favorite thing about guiding waterfowl hunts? My very favorite thing is when dads bring their kids goose hunting or duck hunting. Uh, 
seeing these kids light up, especially uh, their first Jack of Use kill. You know, this one time I took this kid, was on a little uh, little sheet water hole, and he was like, I, I was right next to him. I said, Oh, shoot, this single mallard coming in. And he pulls up his gun with a 20 gauge pump. I don't know how old he was. He's maybe 11 or 12 years old. Pulls up one shot this mallard. It was probably 30 yards, like a really good shot for this kid. And, uh, you know, that was. That was awesome. You know, that seeing kids get into this. I want people in the waterfowl industry to uh, see it the way it really is. Online, on social media, magazines, everything you see is this grungy waterfowl. Like it's snowing or sleeting or raining and it's negative 20 degrees every time you go waterfowl hunting. And I, I just can't stand that. To get more waterfowls into this, you have to understand that. There's days where it's, it's nice out. You want some wind, you want some sun, but the uh, biggest thing deer or elk hunters or whatever, they, they say, oh, I don't want to go duck hunt. It's terrible weather. You know, it's like, come on, dude. Right. <laughs> and get, get, give it a chance. And every one that you get to get a, get a chance of waterfowl hunting, they, they almost immediately get into it. I mean, unless you're just a diehard trophy hunter, you want to go kill the biggest elk, mule deer, white elk, then you're going to be into waterfowl hunting because it's fun. You get to go, you get to shoot your guns, sure. you get to communicate. Socialize, and yeah. Socialize, yeah. And that, that's, that's what I love about waterfowl hunting, just socializing. You get to sit there, and no matter what happens, you're out there in the field. You're not, you're not at home with a family every day schedule. You know, you get to go and feel like you're on a vacation. You're all getting to shoot a gun if that's what you're into. So, and on the flip yeah. side, then I've got to ask you, what's your least favorite thing about guiding waterfowl hunts? My least favorite thing about waterfowl guiding hunts is, you know, it really, it, I think any guide will agree with me here is, when you get clients that come in and question your work ethic, I hate that. You're up at 4 o'clock every day. Probably don't get to bed till 10 o'clock every single day just to put these guys on the best hunt possible, and they kill 15 birds, 10 birds, and they treat you like you're a dog. Right. That's the worst thing about guiding waterfowl hunts. When you get these people that come in and think, "Oh, you guard hold us." This is a business, you know. You're not going to guard hold someone because it's a bad representation of the company you work for. People don't do that. I worked for multiple outfitters. No one, no one does that unless a guy comes in and tries to finagle a deal and get a discount and all this, you know, whatever. But 99% of the time, everybody is trying their best to put you in the best hunt possible. And once they say, you know, did you nap today? <laughs> Guys get that question a lot too. Did you nap today? No, I was out uh, cleaning your birds and I had, had lunch <laughs> and then went scouting. <laughs> and then I ate dinner with you and had a beer with you and then went to bed till 10 and had to wake up again. So how did those be good? Yeah, that, that's just the worst thing. When someone questions your work ethic and what you're doing for them and, and not being uh, appreciative of what you're doing for them, they don't see what's going into it. I understand that, but... Well, you know, social media has made everything such a highlight reel these days that these guys come in with these expectations that are through the roof. And then if you maybe don't meet the expectations that they had in their head, oh, well, the group that came before us, you know, two out of three days, they hunt hunter bird shoots. And then if they shot maybe a a really, really good hunt, which should be a good hunt by most standards. If they shot 30 or 40 and then all of a sudden they want to question if you didn't put them in your, you know, in your A plus field for that day without even taking into consideration that at the end of the day, you're still hunting a wild animal. There's not a dude, (laughs) there's not a dude over the hill saying, all right, y'all, y'all, y'all ready for me to release them? You know, it just, it don't work like that. The expectation that has come with social media and I get it. We're, I get we've it. done it to ourselves. We are involved. I'm not complaining about social media. I've made a living 
um, right. post baseball career with social media. I'm not complaining, but we have set an expectation and this doesn't just apply to waterfowl hunting. I mean, I think everybody knows that everybody's life is such a highlight reel. They've got the perfect kids with the perfect marriage. If their son goes one for four, they're not going to show the three strikeouts. They're going to show the laser that he hit up the middle, you know? So it's everything's a highlight reel and it's all been created through social media and waterfowl is just another segment of our lives that, that, um, you know, for guides, you know, you're going to experience some, some of that stuff where the expectation just doesn't always match up with reality, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, birds have wings. They can they can go wherever they want. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're going to give you the best possible chance, but uh, they have wings. They can go wherever they want. Now, in the early fall, you run your own outfit in Alberta, Old Dog Outfitters, and once that wraps up, you head to Amarillo to God Hunts at Cadillac Creek. Can you tell us? A little bit about Old Dog and how that got started. Man, Old Dog got started just because, you know, some good things popped up up in Alberta that we could purchase for a decent price. And uh, buddies, well, I guess a buddy of mine, I guess reached out to Thomas and I. Thomas and I became friends. Let's reverse back. Thomas and I became friends in Arkansas, Snowgoose hunting. Okay. And, uh, you know, talked about it, a lot of things. Thomas has been hunting for 20-plus years guiding, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, we just fell in love. I went on a guided trip with a company. Uh, they, they just invited me. I was, this is during uh, Little Rock when I was playing baseball at Little Rock. I got invited on a snowbiz hunt. I was able to go. Shot like 270 birds or something crazy. It was awesome. Thomas and I just felt, became really good friends. And... Uh, Fast forward later on, Buddy reaches out. We just basically put our heads together. We both had money saved up. You know, why not do this? We've been guiding. We've had clients for the last however many years at this point. Let's just buy this stuff. Whatever happens, happens. I mean, it was like all all or nothing. Get off, you know, shit or get off the pot. Right. So we did it. We bought these allocations. They were apparently in in a good area. Uh, not going to give areas on here, but they're in a good area where some really uh, legendary people have hunted before, actually. But fast forward, yeah, that's how it got started. We just we just bought the stuff, went up there, checked it out, saw what our, uh, what, what fields were planted in, and from there we just had to find a lodge, find a cook. You know, it it really all just kind of fell into place. Our clients wanted to go you know they're like hey you know you, you bring four buddies and you come for free so our favorite clients you pick out you know right. hey you bring you bring four paying, paying guys you come for free sure. next next year let us know what we did wrong what can what we can do better and uh just grow it from there you know social media wasn't a huge part in getting the business started but to keep it going i think it's kind of now playing a part but we got started, our first year is done, you know, we're on a fourth year this year, so we get our first year done, second year's COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, we literally started business the year before COVID, everything's rocking and rolling, and uh, COVID hits, we're like, dang, what do we do now? So we advertised to Canadians because we couldn't bring U.S. guys up anymore. Mm-hmm. Our second year in business. And so we luckily get enough Canadians on the books to be able to take them hunting to have a season up there. We get up there, we quarantine for two weeks. That was terrible, by the way. <laughs> terrible. And uh, we, were in, we were just in a little trailer <laughs> for two weeks. Can't leave our yard. Oh, it's like a $50,000 fine or something. Anyway, that's all over with. We, we have that season. Next year, you know, you can't go up without getting vaccinated. So we lose more clients, you know. So we're just fighting through and fighting through and making it and making it. Social media is helping get us through these times right now. You know, you, you always think you're going to start a business and three years later it's going to, 
you know, it's going to expedite. Things are going to go a lot bigger. And, you know, there's kind of the stage of if we get through this, can you imagine if they do take the vaccine away and all of our, all of our clients can come back? It's going to be like, it's going to be a shell shock. It's going to be like, right. we're going to be both two years in advance type of thing. For sure. So that's how it got started. That's how it is now. And we're just blessed to uh, still be able to do it, to be honest with you. Absolutely. Not to go down a too super side road, but quick little fun fact going back when Cole, uh, he was playing baseball at Little Rock. Little fun fact. At the beginning, I said fellow left-hander Cole was a pitcher at the University of Arkansas Little Rock. I actually went to the University of Arkansas Little Rock as well. Cole very likely would have been would have been drafted, gone into professional baseball. Was having an unbelievable year his last year and came down with an arm injury, which sucks. But things find a way to even themselves out for good people. So. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just a little fun fact, both left-handed pitchers at uh, the University of Arkansas, Little Rock, and we're both obsessed with with waterfowl hunting. So, you know, going back to your old dog thing, um, you know, I think with COVID and the individuals that are going to come through on the other side, I know it's been a tough, I know it's been a struggle for a lot of people. Like you said, you start a business, you come in, it goes well, you've got high hopes, and then COVID just shocks the whole world um and changes life as we know it but you know if they do lift the vaccine mandates ever um like you said man you guys are going to be rocking and rolling but even if they don't you're going to continue uh to grow through you know through social media and reputation uh relationships that you form with others around where you know i feel like you guys are you, yeah. guys are, you guys are going to be okay in the long term, no matter what happens. So you've, yeah, you've got enough experience in this industry and, and how it works. I think you know what you need to do to uh, be successful right. to keep moving forward. So it's a slower, slower process, but uh, we're, uh, we're a lot more appreciated now than we ever have been. So where did the there's, name there's dog come from? Well. <laughs> <laughs> This is back when, uh, do you remember the phase? I don't know if you do or not. There was a phase on Instagram where everyone was posting dogs and their, picture, <laughs> their pictures were just going absolutely viral. Like, we're like, we're under the impression at this time, like, dude, everyone freaking loves dogs. Our name has to have a dog in it. So that's where dog came from. But we're just like, Red dog, all, all these names we thought of were already things so like, like screw it, screw it. My grand, my grandpa actually says old dog all the time. Uh, it's just it just came out of nowhere. It's like freaking old dog, you know. These old dogs. So that's kind of where it came okay. from. Everyone loves dogs and pictures of dogs. And hey, there it, you know. It's, and when you put hole in front of it, it kind of seems like some uh, kind of old you know, school down to earth, you know? Old, yeah, old, old school down to earth. So we, yeah. our brand is kind of a tan and, you know, black and brown and okay. green colors, you know? Kind of like hey, that. sometimes less is more, man. Oh, I agree. You know? Less is always more. <laughs> Almost every time. <laughs> Last season was your first uh, at Cadillac Creek with, Toby and the boys, tell us about that experience and just what you enjoyed the most about Cadillac Creek. It was an awesome experience. What I enjoyed the most was just being around a bunch of guys all the time. We all lived in the same house and, you know, there was some ups and downs quite a bit. You know, we fought some, not like Chris fought or anything, but, you know, you know, mouth fights. What twenty twenty two is all about nowadays. Right. But no, it was, it was a good time hanging out with those guys. You know, going with Cadillac Creek was kind of a mental thing for me. It's like, dang, you know, they have this rap for taking all these people hunting in these big groups and uh, you know, this and that and the other. I'm I've known Toby from, you know, eight years before. I know I'm gonna like him as my boss, you know. Toby's one of the most genuine people I've ever met. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, long story short, I ended up just falling in love with taking giant groups hunting. I mean, it, <laughs> you think you're going to hate it. And there's some negatives and downfalls about it. Some, some clients think they don't get enough shooting in or this and that. But 
you know, the big thing behind it is uh, we want to put everyone on the best hunt. So if 10 guys and eight guys are two separate groups and a big weather front comes in, pushes all the birds in new directions and there's one giant feed mm-hmm. and every, every other feed is 100 birds, what do you do? Right. Do you, do you put eight clients on 100 birds? Or do you put 18 clients on 10,000 birds? Right. You know, uh, but, you know, people don't understand that, but that's kind of the idea behind it. No, we, we don't want to do that every day. But some scenarios are, you know, what do you do? You give, you give eight guys a crappy hunt or you give 18 a good hunt. Right. So, you know, it kind of makes sense when you talk about it like that. But no, I didn't know if I was going to like doing that or not. But no, I've taken uh, 20 guys hunting one time and we shot 186 birds out in West <laughs> Texas. And that was it. Uh, uh, everything else was 15 or below. Uh-huh. But, you know, I'd say the, the thing I like most is, you know, when you do have multiple groups combined together, you got to have guides to. Uh, sure. cater to everyone. So I, I truly didn't think I was going to like that. I like kind of being in the field by myself uh-huh. or with one other guy helping me put out decoys. Sometimes there does get too many cooks in the kitchen sure. out there setting spreads, but we learn to communicate later on in the right. season. Who's running Who's running what? Who's setting what? And, uh, you know, it works out. And next year, next year, Toby's got really big plans. He's... He's coming out with some cool apparel, a new lodge. We're not going to have to meet at gas stations anymore, which that's a bummer. So, you know, you talk about socializing. You're a guide that's already been guiding over 100 hunts, 100 days straight or whatever. And at 4 a.m., you meet you meet the clients for the first time, mm-hmm. and you try to be this happy-go-lucky, let's get to it, you know, we're going to have a great day type of guy. And that's that gets hard. Sure, that gets that gets really hard sometimes. So now with the lodge, I'm super pumped about it. Uh, we get to just go to the house, the lodge in the evening, and uh, meet everyone and be able to talk to them for an hour before the morning hunt. And I'm super stoked about that. I do some a little bit smaller groups and uh, you know run it run it good. It's going to be a really awesome deal. He's rebuilding. He's rebuilding the inside of a giant horse pond on his property, and uh, it's going to be sweet. That's awesome, man. And you know the thing is, like, when it comes to the big groups, people can you can love it or you can hate it, but Cadillac Creek is synonymous with big groups and big piles. And Toby's going to be the first one to tell you, like, that's what they've kind of made their name on i'm actually going to be posting a little we're kind of doing these little outfitter testimonial deals i've been posting like one a week and you'll see it i mean toby's on there it's it's no secret like that's what you guys do and you're really good at it so most people are not going to be booking they know the deal at cadillac creek either they follow them on social media there or they've come across them you know, maybe through people that they do stuff with, like Don Bomb or seen us on our video. You're never going to see a video of us hunting with Cadillac Creek, like a buddy hunt with four or five dudes. That's yeah. not what they do. So I think most people that book with Cadillac Creek, unless they've just completely been like deceived by a friend and don't have social media, like they're going to know the deal. They're going to know yeah. like, kind of what they're getting into. And I think that's that's good that um you know kind of like creek has kind of established themselves as that right. in these big piles and big numbers like our buddy kurt in wyoming he takes small groups that's what they do like they shoot little bitty creeks that you can't put pressure on and that's you yeah. people know if they go on a hunt with kurt like it's probably gonna be four dudes a lot of gentlemen's hunts like people know if they um, go on a hunt with cadillac creek they're probably gonna get put in a field that's a monster. That's probably got ten or fifteen thousand lessers in it, and you might go try to shoot two hundred. You know, some days yeah. you're not. Some days you will. Some days you'll shoot sixty. Some days you shoot one hundred and forty. You know, but that's that's kind of their deal. And I think people that, should 
kind of know that by now. And if they don't, yeah. really, it's kind it's as active as they are on social media. It's it's really your own fault if you go and you're upset that you got with twenty people. You know, I was that was a question I asked myself before working there. Anyway, is how many of these people are just pissed? And uh, I've never seen I'd one. Say, <laughs> I'd, I'd, Not I'd say not three or four years. I'd say none of them besides a, a select few that were the type of people that no matter what happened, they weren't going to be happy. You know, come come with no expectations, trust the business, trust the company, and just enjoy your time no matter what happens. I mean, good gosh. Don't spend thousands of dollars on something and not have fun. Sure. Right? That's what what, what I don't get. If I'm going to spend $2,000 on something, there's no way I'm going to go and ruin my attitude and not have a good time. No, no matter if you kill birds or not, it happens. Have, go have a good time with your buddies. Y'all just canceled work to go on this trip. Right. Hang out, have a couple of beers at the lodge. You know, have a good time. Whatever vacation. happens, happens. Yeah, have a vacation. Absolutely, man. Do you like duck hunting or goose hunting more? <laughs> I like communicating with geese more. I feel like they're more they react a lot more and you can talk you can talk with them a lot more. But the way ducks act up in Canada uh, I would choose I would choose goose hunting over duck hunting, but there's nothing like knives in your face. Okay, uh, you know. There's not. Alright, well I'll make it a little more difficult. If you could only chase one species the rest of your life, which one would it be? <laughs> geese. What kind of geese? Well, you told me to pick one. I can't. Now you're cutting me down to one geese. Yeah. <laughs> what species? I mean, the Canada goose. Canada's the little ones. All, all which subspecies? Oh my gosh! Lesters, <laughs> of course, dude. Okay. You any, so at the end of the day, if you had one that you could pick to hunt the rest of your life, it would be lesser Canada geese. It would, hundred percent. You get big stems. You get you get little flocks. You 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 know, it's like a snow goose. You get to talk to them like a spe- speckled belly, and it's a Canada. You've got like the best of every world. They're fun. They are. They're a lot of fun. People listening, uh, a lot of them probably know you got very active on YouTube last year. You experienced some pretty awesome growth in your first season. What's your plan for YouTube for this season and? What uh, can the people expect to see coming from your channel? My plan for YouTube is to be more, you know, keep up with it a lot better. I, I don't, I don't know if anyone really understands what goes into making videos because I'm one of those people. But it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. You can't just set cameras up and click record. And I think probably my first thirty hunts of the year, I was like you know what, I'm just going to set the camera up, click record, and edit what comes out of it. You know, right. I know we're going to have some good flocks and good hunts, but YouTube is something I feel like you have to really communicate with the viewer, mm-hmm. and that's something I'm going to work on uh, in a big way, is communicating with the viewer and uh, kind of getting a couple different camera angles and better audio that I'm thinking of, because mm-hmm. uh, a, a GoPro does not produce audio uh, up to par, I guess. And it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, walk out in the spread with a GoPro in front of your face in front of clients, so I'm probably going to get, like, an external mic. You know, all, all these things. But, yeah, right. communicating with the user, I mean, the viewer, as much as possible. Telling them what's going on. Telling them the, where the birds are coming from, the setup, how they're setting up, why they're setting up this way. And, uh, you know, I want the waterfowl industry to grow. That's my biggest thing with YouTube, is I want the waterfowl industry to grow in a way that it's fun. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel like back in the day, you know, everything that was filmed was filmed in a fashion that they just killed. They just had these mean looks on their face uh-huh. with beards, with beards and beer guts, and that's yeah. what waterfowl hunting is. And it's not. It's no, fun. No. You get to laugh. You get to be with your friends and family and new people all the time. So that that's my plan for you too. That's what I want to show is people having a good time. 
because a lot of people don't show that. It's just killing birds. It's not all it is. So no, that's what I, that's I, my plan. I'm yeah, you're going to gonna do a great <laughs> job on that platform. Um, I mean, you've you've got, you've got a great personality. Um, you know, I've I've known you for several years now. I didn't actually get to hang out with you until last year, which is crazy because I felt you know felt like I'd known you for nearly yeah, five years, it, you know, but man, you've got a great personality. If you just be yourself and uh, like you said, let people see the reality of, of what a waterfowl hunt is like, because it's so easy for us to, to take it for granted because we know how this stuff plays out in our head. All you got to do is say a species in a location and we can yeah. picture, not, not to say it's going to go that way, but we know the way this thing's going to play out. We've, we've got to keep in mind like the people that, they didn't grow up with this stuff or they're just now getting into it. They have no idea what to expect when you say Amarillo, lesser Canada geese, or you say Prairie, Alberta mallards, or you say Arkansas snow geese, or you say Saskatchewan uh, spring snow geese. Like people don't know. And the the more we can do showing them the reality of what it's like while also displaying it in the manner that it should be, be displayed, which is fun, professional, um, you know, respectful to the, the birds we're chasing and the landowners, uh, always, yes. always respectful, always doing it the right way, but having fun. Because at the end of the day, dude, if you're going to wake up at, you know, two, three, four in the morning, set a bunch of decoys, spend a ton of money, what yeah. the hell are you doing if you're not having fun? Like what's exactly? Like, are you out there like flexing just for Instagram? Are you spending all that money? Like if you're not having fun, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Now I'm not speaking specifically to a guide or an outfitter. Obviously, that you know they need to enjoy uh, their job because that's going to be reflected to their customer that they're enjoying it and they love it and they're going to have a more successful business. Now I get it. At yeah. that point, you're doing it for fun. You're also doing it for a living to make money, support your family. People do need to respect that. But at the end of the day, we visit a lot of outfitters. I mean, we go to anywhere from 30 to 50 a year and they, one very common theme is they love their jobs. They, they truly love their jobs. They love the people that they get to be around, uh, the clients they get to meet. So have fun people. If you're not having fun, do yourself a favor, save yourself a lot of money and, don't do it. You need to have fun. Right. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Don't take waterfowl hunting so seriously. It's not a competition. It's not. Uh, and the whole, the whole, uh, my pile is bigger than yours. I shoot more ducks than you. <laughs> Can we please get rid of all that? Uh, you know, waterfowl is the one industry where no one compliments each other. No one says, you know, great hunt, nice shot, you know, hardly ever. YouTube is a different story, you know. Those people are, like, really isn't into that, it. Isn't that weird, though? Yeah, YouTube's, like, very complimentary. Super nice, like, golly. But you yeah. get on Instagram and it's silent. It's <laughs> like, you get this, you get, if you kill a pile of birds, you get the silent treatment, dude. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, can we just get away with that? You know, someone shoots a 105-inch whitetail, and they're getting 20 comments about, oh, uh, you know, awesome kill. You know, turkey. Waterfowl industry has got, yeah, turkey. You know, I watched this turkey fly out of a freaking roost 50 yards, and I shot it. You know, you, <laughs> come on. You know, let's put the waterfowl industry in a, in a world where we can, like, have fun talking to each other on social media. That's another thing I, I just hate, you know. It's not this competition. Everyone, you know, wants to have a good time. We don't need the comments and all that, but like, you know, it's, it's fun to support each other as a it's fun to support. You know, I, I support everyone that gets into this industry. I want to, I try to, unless something happens. But yeah, we got to support each other. The only way it's going to grow is if if we all support each other and, and grow together. Absolutely, so it's the only way. No, I agree. Gold, do you have any advice? You know, before I let you run, one more really good question. Do you have any advice for an aspiring waterfowl guide, somebody that wants to guide or maybe somebody that wants to start out as a guide and maybe open up their own deal someday? What could you 
what could you tell them based on your experience of going through this whole process? Yeah, I have seen the entire process. My, my advice to younger guys would be do not get into something with an outfitter. Let me rephrase that. Do not get in with an outfitter. Let's say you get, get in touch with an outfitter. But tell them you're going to work as hard as you can and keep doing that. Don't go and talk about the guy that's been there for five years and go and act like you're better than him when he's trying to bring you into the company. Now, there's a lot of guys that get these guide jobs now that get there and think they're a hot dog, big ego. After their first two weeks of doing this for the first time, just because they're a part of this company, they're a guide now, they're, they're doing this and they think they're hot stuff. Don't be that person. If, you, if you're going to get into this, if you want to be a guide, go in with the thought of all I'm going to do is work hard and make clients happy and do whatever I need to do to move forward in this industry. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you get a big ego, 90-whatever percent of these companies will not appreciate it. Be appreciative of everything you're given in the waterfowl world and work hard. That's what I'd say to the kids these days. Sounds like some great advice. Cool. I don't know what you got going on the weekend of July 15th and 16th. You ought to try to make it a squad fest. It's going to be a great time. I'll be there. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, Cole, man, I don't want to take up any more of your time today. You got anything else? I'm, I'm sure you got got stuff you got to get to. It's We're sitting here midday, yeah. and I know you got we're approaching lunchtime, and I've had you on for an hour. You got anything else you want to leave us with? Oh, not, not really. Just uh, smile. Have a good day. Don't, don't let everything going on in the world put you down. And uh, just have a great day. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you hopping on here with me today, and I'm sure I'll be talking to you real soon. All right, Asher. Uh, thank you for letting me be on here, and uh, I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll see you soon. See you, buddy. Bye. All right. Cole Townsend, that was a fun interview. Cole's a he's a good guy. He's very good at what he does. He's a very good waterfowl guide. He's got a lot of experience. Don't forget, give us a follow on all social media platforms. We got a bunch of them. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And like I just mentioned with Cole, mark your calendars for Squad Fest. It's going to be an absolute blast. I guarantee you don't want to miss it. Until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dot Mom Squadcast.